I mean, you know, people are entitled to their sexual proclivities. You know, I mean, let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. You know, but I ain't spending any time on it because in the meantime, every three months, a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. how that rumor came about i actually don't understand like australian politics is an actual joke like i i literally like it's the best comedy show of all time but it's also the worst because you know that everything is happening um everything that is happening is real it's a nice slap in the face but with comedy with with you know i just wish that um parliament house had a laugh track that would be amazing i mean our deputy prime minister like two days ago got fined for not wearing a mask yeah. <laughs> two days ago someone called the cops on barnaby joyce <laughs> <laughs> i just I cannot i, I cannot that. i from all i know about barnaby joyce is that he's the guy that wears the cowboy hat right and he's the and one he that threatened has... to kill johnny depp's dogs <laughs> yeah he, he threatened to kill johnny depp's dogs and then he was like wasn't he also the one with the mistress Yep, he's like, he didn't want same-sex marriage to happen because he respected the sanctity of marriage, and then he fucked some other woman. It's the the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy. Speaking of, like, Australian politics, there was this one time where I was on a school excursion, I was like, I think year six, so I was about 11, and we were, we went to the state parliament, and the teacher was like, Ah, oh, and this is where the the ministers uh, go to the microphone and speak when they're like sitting in session, and they're like, "Ah, oh, we want one of our students to try it out." And so the teacher like looked at me, and I don't remember what they said, but I remember the subtext was, "Hey, Nick, you never shut the fuck up. Why don't you go speak at the microphone?" And so I did, and the first thing that came to my head was like, "Ah, oh, talk about crocodiles," but I'm like, "No, I've already done a ten minute oral." presentation on crocodiles last year so the next thing that came to my head was talk about caimans instead and some afterwards some guy some random like mid-20s guy came up to me and he's like hey you're the kid that talked about caimans aren't you and i'm like yeah i'm 11 why are you talking to me (laughs) oh my god i honestly don't understand australian politics But welcome to As a Film Student. I'm your little, little scaly host, Mon. And I'm your lizard hand, Nick. Wait. Yay! I'm not your lizard hand. The film that we're going to be talking about today is, drumroll Nick, drumroll. The 2002 smash hit comedy film, The Crocodile Hunter Collision Course, starring Steve Irwin, Terry Irwin, um, the guy from Lord of the Rings, the chick from Kath and Kim. Okay, and, and Magda Subansky. Some other guys. Put respect in her name, Magda Subansky. Queer icon, amazing woman. I love her. I'm so. I, before we go on, I just need to. I need to put this on the public record. Apparently, one of our mates saw Magda Zubansky in the bathroom right before we watched Cats together, and so Wait, they what? think that Magda. Magda Zubansky possibly watched Cats with us, but I'm like, is it, isn't it also possible that maybe she was watching another movie in the same theatre? But in my heart, Magda Zubansky watched Cats with us on New Year's Day in 2020. Oh my god, I can't believe canon. it. Because I, oh, oh my god, so you're saying that I was in this exact same room that Magda Zubansky was? So like, I breathe the same oxygen? I breathe the same oxygen without knowing. You were losing your mind in the same room as Magda Zubansky. We think. I am losing. I am losing my mind right now, like as of right now, as we speak. Literally, I was in the same room as Magda Zubansky, and I didn't know. <laughs> I would have. I would have been crying over cats. But I also wouldn't be crying as a Magda Shabansky. I would be like, oh my god. In that one episode of Catherine Kim, I swear to god. I, 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 she is literally like, 
my icon growing up because Kath and Kim like I know I know I loved Kath and Kim growing up I used to love watching it because I actually thought they had weird accents and so as a kid this is a, this is a fun story Nick as a kid I would actually learn the Australian accent from watching a lot of Kath and Kim and Neighbours that was how I sp- that's why I speak like this maybe that's why I don't speak with an Australian accent all that well because I never watched Kath and Kim. That is my darkest confession. I've never seen an episode of Kath and Kim. And at this point, I'm too scared. I'm too scared to admit it. But here I am just putting it out there on the internet. I'm having a vulnerable moment here, okay? Oh my god, it's okay, Nick. I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, if you ever need to open up, speak to me. Speak to me. So... Steve the Crocodile Hunter Irwin caught his first crocodile at the age of nine, but unlike the grim connotations of his nickname, Steve's mission was to rescue and conserve Australia's wildlife, including crocodiles. Within his short lifetime, he built a platform based on education and respect, using his natural charisma and enthusiasm to inspire generations of Australians and people around the globe. The Crocodile Hunter Collision Course is a 2002 movie which in and of itself is a collision of genres and tones. After a US satellite explodes, two United States agencies send competing agents to recover a piece of debris, a beacon, that resides in the stomach of a salty in far north Queensland that's been wreaking havoc on Magda Zubansky's cattle. Faramir, the local ranger, has been getting complaints about Magda's aggression towards the crocodile, and calls in some help from Steve and Terry Irwin to catch the crocodile and move it to another river system out of harm's way. That was an amazing, amazing summary because I actually did not know what was really going on and I watched the movie twice. It's a really good summary because you don't know what is going on when you're watching this movie because there's two different plot lines going on. There's no, no, let me say, there's two different films going on in this one film. And it's very very hard to like kind of stitch it together, but for me, it, it really worked. Because it's a combination of the typical documentary style of the Croc Hunter show and, you know, some semblance of a narrative feature film, which is the uh, CIA plot. And I reckon it really works because it capitalizes on Steve's natural charisma, but his inability as an actor, because acting is hard. A lot of people don't like it because it's very disconnected, the two plot lines, which is why last time I said I was interested to know what you would think, because a lot of people were just like, man, this sucks, it's two different films, but I reckon it works. I reckon it's just so perfect. Mm-hmm. I actually believe you 100%, and like, I was reading up an interview with Sivo and the E! News was doing, and I hate E! News, obviously, but this was during, this is um, around 2002 as well. Um, what I recently found out was um, they actually filmed all of the conventional uh, documentary stuff first beforehand, and then afterwards they would actually do it, um, they would do it in accordance with the movie component. Um, and it's very interesting because they, cu- they couldn't have any stunt doubles they had no stunt doubles. They wanted everything to be real time. They wanted everything to be real and nothing fake. And I thought that was very like interesting, seeing that way, uh, the way the documentaries are made for Steve Irwin, and then seeing how it literally collided with the conventional feature film and the aesthetics of the conventional feature film. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I thought it was so interesting. Yeah, and the reason they didn't have stunt doubles is because Steve insisted that because he is the expert he wanted to be the one that handled all the wildlife like there's a shot where Rosie who is Magda Zubansky's character uh falls onto a crocodile that is actually Steve in a fat suit are you kidding me I had no idea that is a real crocodile and that is Steve in a fat suit and you know when um he's waving the king brown snake in the guy's face it's a really interesting story where it's like Steve's just like, nah, we can't do another take because this snake is actually getting mad. That snake was actually, imagine having a snake dangled in your face, oh one of God. the deadliest snakes in the world, by Steve Irwin and just trusting him like that. Okay, I would trust Steve with my life, honestly. I would put my life on his hands. Like, Daddy Steven, 
Daddy Steve-O, sorry, Daddy Steve-O, I'm just saying, the way he handled that snake with those bare hands, I wish he was handling something else. Um, Moving on. He makes a joke about his dick falling off at one point. (laughs) He's like, it's highly necrotic. That means bits of you rot and fall off. You wouldn't want to get a bite here. And he smacks his inner thigh. I love Steve so much. But I also recently found out that um, there was a lot of injuries on set and there was also a lot of blood as well. And so apparently they had to cut the footage before they could show any blood to make it kid friendly. <laughs> yeah, because you're dealing with actual animals. Like, right, yeah. It, there's so much authenticity. It mm. incorporates Steve's own authenticity into the production. Mm. And I think this is what I find very fascinating about film is that film is entirely constructed in every single meticulous sense. You have the script, you have the camera, you have the sound, the lighting, the direction, the set, the acting. Everything is all meticulously planned and constructed but then with the idea of documentary it kind of blurs the line between that like what is real what is authentic what is it that the director wants you to see what is kind of edited to make it seem like this is the truth but with Steve Irwin he wants it to be as authentic as possible and by kind of colliding two different terms of reality together that's why it's very jarring for a lot of people is because it's two different realities. One is a very falsified, fabricated reality of a construction. And the other is the reality of Steve-O. Like, he is just handling animals, treating it like it's a normal day at work. And it's so fascinating to see those two come together and mesh and for it to gel in an interesting way that can be very jarring, but at the same time, it just comes together in a very, very unique way, which I've never seen in a film before. And I feel like this film handled it really well. Like, I loved it. I loved how even the aspect ratio for it also changed as well. And you can see the different, like, you can see what is a documentary and what is a camera and handheld and what is fabricated. And it kind of truly, truly kind of feels like you know, what is reality in the steve universe? You know, like, what is actually reality? Like, what is Steve Irwin doing on, like, in everything, in every documentary, every, every documentary, every TV show, every episode he's ever aired, what is reality? What has been edited to be reality? And how did he frame himself as, like, a character? Is it his authentic self? Or is it know like a self that he's created just for tv you know like is it just the character it's very fascinating seeing those like little multi-layered you know parts of this film i think a lot of uh what informs his personality is his his real enthusiasm for education because that's why he did all those documentaries he wanted to educate he wanted to impart wisdom because he had grown up in a household where he in turn by his father, Robert Irwin, was educated at a very young age about, like, the native wildlife. Like, Australia Zoo started off as some little dingy thing that his parents set up, so he, that was imparted on him at a young age, and he continued that, and in turn, his family, in his death, has continued to do that. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting, because, like, obviously having... A legacy like Sivo kind of enforced upon you as a young child is also... It would have been very hard to live to, especially that amount of pressure. And with Bindi, she was away from the spotlight for a while, I think. Although there was a controversy when she was, like, through, because Steve was feeding a crocodile and he was holding her in the oh other hand. Oh, my God. And they actually had to change the laws in Queensland to say, you can't do that. Because previously there was no law about, like, feeding a crocodile while holding your three-year-old daughter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so weird because Imagine I remember... Imagine confuses what hand you're in. <laughs> 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 I 
imagine imagine accidentally feeding your daughter to the crocodile though. I'm not gonna lie. That's hilarious. And then just chucking your daughter to the crocodile, like, alright. So here I'm just gonna feed I'm just gonna feed this crocodile. Oh, oh, there she Whoops. go. Oops. Oh well Crikey, that's bad mistake. <laughs> oh my god, I, I, I love it. But um I think it's very interesting, again, like how his legacy has been enforced to a lot of people in his family. And not just his legacy, because Steve Irwin isn't just a legacy, he's a brand. Mm. He's a brand. Like he's like, I think I remember like when I was younger, there was just so much like Australian zoo and like, like Steve Irwin merch everywhere. Like he himself is the brand and the way they kind of commodified him was just so... It, it feels so weird to me. And after he passed away, that commodification just elevated so much. Because it, it, it was a huge loss to Australia because he was such a national icon. But it was also a loss of like a huge brand as well. Yeah, because Steve did a lot for Australian tourism and he was also really into that. Like that wasn't, that was intentional. He was a very big uh, he part of continuing the legacy of the image of Australia as laid-back, laconic larrikins, just like like we were taking the piss out of earlier, like riding around on kangaroos and licking crocodiles on the forehead. And he really wanted to put out that image onto the world, like like Paul Hogan before him. But all Australian folklore heroes that we actually advertise to the rest of the world are predominantly white, and we're like taught about them in primary school, but we're not taught about like the other side of Australia as much. It's very interesting because like I did not know much about Australia growing up and I remember the education system in grade six mainly they taught us the gold rush they they told us how Australia was colonized and also how Australia was founded you know like Australia was founded by Captain James Cook when he rode his boat around Australia and mapped it and he went back home and then Captain Philip came in and he docked himself in um, Botany Bay in Sydney and I was like, okay. And he put a flag down to claim it as uh, the British Empire. Okay. And I was like, and I remember the teacher saying this was like this white teacher. And everyone in that class was, was all Asian. And we just sat there and we were like, yay. Because <laughs> we didn't know anything about Australia. Like we were all immigrant kids. So we were just like, okay, this is the truth. And so that was like what fed my truth ever since I was a child. And it was only, only until grade... 10 like year 10 where I actually started to realize and unpack like hey this is like something feels really off about the whole kind of narrative like of James Cook and then Captain Philip and all of that you know and then then we start learning about the soul generation and then more about indigenous you know customs and all of this stuff and then I was like oh that's pretty bad Australia was kind of built on a genocide and built on literal blood yeah, as it, the most educated we got about in the indigenous genocides in Australian primary school was like in grade five when they showed us rabbit proof fence. They, 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 they did admit that we did a genocide, but they, they never really like told us how bad it was. And it's like, mm. and we keep like suppressing that information because it's like, ah, oh, it was in the past. It was a long time ago. All this news about, like, uh, the indigenous children's bodies that are being found in Canada has made me, like, look at Australia like, oh boy, that's us too. Because everyone thinks of Canada as, like, the slightly colder, good version of the USA with, like, free healthcare and less guns. But now it's like, oh man, we have to confront our genocides. And Australia also is like, wait, you guys stopped killing your indigenous people? We were meant to stop. I know. And Australia is just, there's a lot of things wrong. Like, all the, like, indigenous deaths in custody as well was, like, put in the forefront and into light last year during the Black Lives Matter protests, where that was literally, I'm going to be honest, the first time I ever heard about it was actually when it was voiced during the BLM, the BLM movements in Australia. And the fact that I did not know about it 
beforehand was so troubling because I just did not know that indigenous lives were being put at stake and is this really the Australia that we're living in right now where I, I it just makes me so infuriated to find out about that and I can't like I just can't fathom how the view of Australia has been put out to the world that we're just this laid-back country where in reality we have been killing and genocide ge- like doing causing mass genocides literally like eugenics on aboriginals we'd be trying to breed them out we literally did what nazis were doing we wanted to breed out aboriginals that was the whole idea of the stolen generation was to assimilate them and then breed them out like how fucked is that how absolutely fucked is that and not only did australia cause mass genocides in our own country we also sent aboriginal slaves to like papua new guinea and to other like pacific islander places and Aboriginal people who fought in white people's wars, wars that weren't theirs, were sent overseas, couldn't come back because of the white Australia policy. They were, this is their land, and they couldn't come back to it after fighting and surviving wars that they didn't have a dog in the fight. I remember the Black Diggers, that was what they were called. It was, I when I heard about that, when I learned about that, I was like, like, the Black Diggers literally fought a war for their colonisers. They literally did for the fucking British. Mm. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is why I'll forever, forever shit on the British and French. <laughs> like, Deserved. and also you, and again, going back to Steve Irwin, like, you're right. Like, he wanted that kind of image of Australia. I, I'm probably going to cut this out, but like, if Steve Irwin was still alive today, he would be cancelled. Some edgy 14 year old on Twitter would like find a bunch of reasons to cancel him for like, not really that much considering all the positive impacts he has on the world. But, like, the thing about um in- indigenous roles and uh, going back to the film is that, you know, crocodiles have actually, like, historically been really revered and respected as creatures. They are living, breathing dinosaurs. And indigenous, uh, like, populations... It, it was a big part of their culture until white settlement came and wiped out about 90% of the population of crocodiles in northern Australia. And it was only in the 70s where we went, like, we stopped. And we were like, let's, let's stop doing that. Because, you know, for some reason, I think an apex predator at the top of the food chain might be important to the balance of our of our wildlife you know i think we might be fucking up the ecosystem a bit here but the thing about that is that they said okay nobody can poach crocodiles anymore but that included indigenous people and that that's a big part of their culture in some mobs it's like it, it was only in 1999 after the police uh prosecuted an indigenous man when they found uh, crocodile meat and skins in his fridge. So they had to specifically change the law to be like, whoops, we still do oppression. And that was only 20 years ago. It wasn't, was not that long. So like, never forget that it was white settlement that brought and still brings executions. Executions? Extinctions. (laughs) And executions, yeah. It's, it's white colonialism that really has caused the mass extinctions of so many animals like i recently this might be wrong um but i recently i guess was reading um a book and i I think the book is called sapiens i know they were talking about how with colonialism indigenous population actually lived very closely with megafauna in um, north america they lived very closely they um, they didn't hunt them as much. They, you know, if they hunted, it was very controlled as well. But when it was colonized by the British and it was colonized by the Dutch, that was when they brought on a lot of mass extinctions of a lot of megafauna in North America. So they basically went big hunting parties to kill all of these beautiful, beautiful animals like lions and large cats and like large mammals and most, like large mammals as well and. Basically, all of them are all dead now because of white settlers. And not only did they kill and enact mass extinction of animals and 
of plant species, but also people as well. Like they destroyed so many different cultures and different tribes and different ethnic groups and ethnic languages that are, that would have been amazing to hear and to see now, like today. But because of that kind of level of genocide in the US, in North America, in South America, in just so many places around the world, I just can't fathom how, like, I can't voice how I feel about it because it just feels like a huge loss mm. of just culture and of people. I actually have a book on um, uh, the introduced species in Australia and how they affect uh, native wildlife. And it does, it's, it's, it's rare because I got this from my high school library. So it's very rare, but it did mention life before colonization in Australia. And that's like, the first three pages and then the rest of the book just starts with extinctions since 1788 and there actually is some stuff on the megafauna and a lot of it is um hunting but it's also like changing climate not climate change but the the way that the climate did change habitats were like became unsustainable so it was sort of a natural thing but also i just find it really funny that like after it's just the rest of the book is just all white people doing things and there's so many pages about cane toads in this book cane toads and rabbits fuck rabbits don't fuck rabbits and don't fuck rabbits either that's disgusting no Mm. That's I'll kink shame you. <laughs> Is that a, oh god? Yeah, oh I'm no. looking at you, Zootopia. I am kink shaming you, furries. I want this on the record. I am not a furry. I, okay, I also want this on the record. I am also not a furry. Um, but I do um, know furries this exist. T- this is such a change of tone, but I just, I looked at one of my notes because last night we were watching Cats and Dogs and I mentioned that all the, all the animals from the first movie, because it was made in like the 2000s, are dead. They're probably all dead. And I just realized that since this was made in 2002, all of, yeah, all of the dogs in this movie are dead. Oh my God. The dog from Molly and Me is probably dead in real life too. Oh my God. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I actually didn't cry in Molly and Me, so I only did because I was like about. 11 and I had just gotten a Labrador. Okay, so back to the film because we've been kind of talking about everything else part of the film, but I feel like the film itself. There's this okay. This is very interesting stereotype and imagery of how Australia is painted to the world. Mm. Australia is like this barren landscape. It's like desert. It's like almost inhabitable and the only people that live there are like soiled and grumpy old you know white people that live there and you know it's just for the crocodiles and deadly spiders and deadly snakes and deadly animals and insects and it just feels like this kind of mythical land like this Mm. huge mythical landmass that's just floating in the ocean and it's so interesting because when i when i speak to people that are not australian they're like wait you're australian so like have you seen a kangaroo have you like seen emus like oh my god like like how are you not dead and it's so interesting how like australia is like this weird stereotype that's so like different to like american stereotypes like when i think of america i think of cowboys i think i think of I think of guns, I think of US imperialism and the fact they lost to the Vietnamese in the Vietnam War. I think of um, the mass genocides they have done to their indigenous population. I think about slavery, I think about how America is a fucked up place and how much I hate Americans. Um, Uh, You know what I think about? I think about their stupid way they have so many states and they expect everyone else to know them. In this movie, there's like a subtitle. It's like one of those typical like new location subtitles. And it is literally Langley VA. What the fuck is VA? VA? Vagina? What is what is it supposed to mean? And you're not even saying VA, the USA. No, it's just VA and we're all supposed to expect 
that we know it's in America. Okay, I, I get from context that it's in America, but I, I don't know what a VA is, okay? Veterans Affairs? The fuck? I'm gonna make a movie, and I'm gonna go like, Canberra, ACT, suck that. I'm not even <laughs> gonna tell you it's Australia, cunt. Like, oh my god, like... Okay, now that I think about it, there's just so much... Okay, the one thing I love about this film is that it actually does show that Australians are just way cooler than Americans, which is actually so true, though. Like, I'm not biased at all, but um, it, I like the whole kind of culture shock of, like, Americans coming to Australia and they have to go fight animals and they have to be, like, you know, they're in this unnatural landscape that's so different from, you know, the nice, clean, that nice, dark, kind of grey aesthetic mm. of the you know the CIA area of the Pentagon you know like if you if you compare the Pentagon with like the open landscape of Australia they're too different the tones are different the colour is different the lighting is different like it, it's all very it's all you know illustrated very differently and I love that I love how they juxtapose those two different settings and then they kind of cross those settings together by bringing those American agents into Australia and they are literally a fish out of water. But I think it does fall into the trap of, you know, just perpetuating that stereotype that you were saying earlier of, like, how Australia is nothing but land. Like, it just completely ignores that. We have cities. Like, you and I, we we would not fit in in Steve Irwin's world. <laughs> we are city slickers. I remember in first year, my film tutor was like, I... I want an Australian film that just for once is set in the city of Melbourne or something. Spe also, speaking of tying this into Australian politics again, our Prime Minister single-handedly fucked up the Australian tourism industry and then he became the Prime Minister. I just, I need people to, to know that Scott Morrison was the person behind the Where the Bloody Hell Are You ad, okay? I need people to know that. Me? Yeah, it ruined our tourism in the primary markets because the English people don't like the word bloody and Americans don't like the word hell, or maybe it's the other way around. I don't know or care. So it's like, you couldn't play that ad in those markets, which were the target demographics. I just, I need, I need people to know that not only did he shit himself in 1997 in an Engadine Mac, but he also <laughs> fucked up his job. He fucked up his one job, and he, people were just, like, surprised Pikachu that he's fucking up his job now. Yeah, it's what he does. He's a fuck-up. It's true. He is a fuck-up, and he shits himself, and he just looks like a fucking overgrown toad, and he just loves Jesus Christ. Like, the one thing that I also reckon about that Outback sort of thing is that there's not a lot of Steve Irwins out in the outback. There's a lot more Magda Zubanskis. And I don't think it's an accurate depiction, but I mean, of course you are going to find nice people. You can find nice people anywhere, except probably in an LNP office. Just just putting that out there. We are really political today. We're just we're just shitting on the LNP. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I I reckon a more accurate depiction, I'm not sure if you've heard of this film or if you've seen it, is Wake and Fright. It's a 1970s Australian, like, thriller. A guy goes into the outback and everyone's just like, hey, want a beer? And he has to, st he, he just has to drink to basically survive. And he's just trying to get to Sydney. He's trying to get to civilization, but he just can't because the outback is so fucked up. And there's actual real footage of animals, like, being shot in that movie. It's fun. Oh, I've heard about that. Wasn't it, wasn't, like, banned? Or it, it was banned. And then it was, like, lost. Like, the actual film reels were mm. lost. And yeah. the effort it yeah. took to restore them. The thing is, I actually heard about this because I was watching a YouTube video about it and um I think they also played it again at Cannes as yeah. well like around like two yeah like 2009 or some mm. time around then and during one of the screenings back in the 70s some guy stood up in the audience and said that's not us and another guy heckled him like sit down it is <laughs> I love it I just I just love it so much because like I feel like the Australian film industry is just such a mess in a way because it's like it's just the same thing again and again the whole kind of like oh the outback oh oh well haha <laughs> crime in the outback because we have such talent like in this movie david wenham has a scene 
where all he says is Brazzy. Just he just keeps repeating Brazzy, Brazzy, Brazzy. That is Kino acting, okay? And we do not treat him or any of our actors with enough respect. We need more respect, and we need more good Australian films. All Australian films are either the best thing you've ever seen, or just trash. Or absolute trash, yeah. I completely, completely agree. And I feel like this kind of ties down to kind of like Steve Irwin not really being an actor. And he's Because like the thing is, like him, he, he himself is like, he's not an actor, he's a character. Like he is, he himself is the character. And the best person that he can actually be is himself. And I remember I loved the the bloopers at the end of the film. It is just so cute and so, like, wholesome. It's just so cute. And the fact that he's trying so hard. And then when he finally gets at the end, he's like, yay! And I'm like, oh my god, that is adorable. That makes me so happy. And I don't know, despite, like, all of the injuries and all of the blood and all of the stuff that went on with actually making the film it just made me smile so hard because i was really having such a rough week and then after i was watching this i was like you know what this is so nice like i really loved this movie and i've gone to the point where like with movies nowadays i don't care about how good it is i only care if it makes me feel something (laughs) like i am literally so devoid of actual human emotion if i if something if i watch like a movie and it actually moves me then i'm like yeah, this is an automatic five stars for me, lads. Oh yeah, this is the the movie that like made my crocodilian movies are uh, automatically ten out of ten, because I I needed some way to rate this a ten out of ten. But now now I don't need that excuse. I just genuinely think it's a ten out of ten movie. Like going back to Steve as a as an actor in the first five minutes, he picks up some shit, some literal shit, and he goes poo. Piranha poo and he like smells it and he puts it in his pocket and it's like he has enthusiasm for literal shit i cannot emphasize yeah, this enough literal. he picks up shit and puts it in his pocket after smelling it and he's and al- also he goes through it and he like picks out like a lizard claw and all that and it's like that's iconic and that's it's that enthusiasm that leaks into you it's this man has so much respect and admiration and literal awe for the world around him and it's impossible not to get infected by it 100 percent. and the thing is like his whole goal was to save animals and especially during a time like the early 2000s there was a huge market of like people hunting and poaching these animals for their skins Mm. And the, th- the shameful thing about uh, poaching crocodiles is that you can't use half of the crocodile skin when you do it because on their back, it's too bony. It's not leather. So you can only skin the bottom. I'm just going to... This movie lives in my head. Just like the way that Steve Owen's like, otherwise they'll turn into boots, bags, and belts. And I'm just like sitting there as a 10-year-old child going, yeah, Fuck boots, bags, and belts. F- f- all my homies <laughs> hate boots, bags, and belts now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, I look. I I I, grew, I It's very funny because I grew up with Steve Irwin, but I didn't grow up really like watching a lot of his stuff because I I I, I was too busy watching Power Rangers to really really watching um, Steve Irwin. I was too busy, you know, trying to fight. Uh, large robots than, um, you know, saving animals, but... Hey, you can do both, okay? Don't be so binary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but, like, I remember, like, I feel like every time I would see Steve pop up on the screen, I was like, oh, he's so happy, Mm. and he seems like such a lovely guy, and, like, I, when I, whenever I did watch his show, I would just be like, oh my god, that's so amazing, like, he's handling all of these crocodiles, all of these animals, and he genuinely, it's a genuine love for what he does and this is genuine like you said it like enthusiasm and like i just i kind of really really loved the way he kind of had that kind of aura and that energy around him where it just it's so welcoming and he just seems like such a nice guy um and like oh god there's one scene in the movie where he slaps terry's ass <laughs> it's like it's like yes. it's such a cute relationship they have together man that's like Honestly, 
it's what I strive for. Just want a man to slap me in the ass while we're wrestling a crocodile. I'm not gonna lie. Let's talk about, because we've talked a lot about Steve Irwin and about how Australia's painted. Let's kind of talk about the other part of the film. The kind of like spy genre, you know, kind of that spy kind of thing. I don't really know much about spy films. I'm not a huge kind of like James Bond girl. It's very interesting because like with the spy genre, it's so, it's such a clash to Steve Owen's documentary filmmaking. Like it's such a huge depart from it, which is why people hate it. When you think about it, doesn't it really work? Because a documentary is about information and so is spying. And the thing they are trying to get is about information. I reckon it really is perfect because when you're... When you're trying to create a subplot to go with Steve Irwin, you you cannot, like, you can't half-ass it. You have to be full of wacky weird shit. You have to put your balls firmly on the wall. I reckon it's also really funny because there's, like, a line where it's like, there are too many locations. There, There's too much to be a coincidence in reference to Steve's presence in a lot of coups. And I'm just like... Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just like, hey, America, have you tried not doing a coup on foreign soil? Please and thank you. Also, there's the great line at the end, please dispose of junk like this wisely, where he's like holding this like satellite beacon with full of like supposedly very dangerous information and he's calling it junk. And one of the American agents literally just yeets electronic waste into our local waterways. And I think that is so accurate of people who disrespect the environment and americans yeah that's actually very fascinating seeing that kind of tie in between the two different you know parts of the film because i understand why people find it jarring but i I, again like i didn't find it that disturbing i i quite liked the link between those two and also that one character i forgot her name but she's the australian joe buckley yeah and so i was just like why is she here she plays she obviously plays the femme fatale kind of character that kind of like sexy mysterious spy figure which is such an overdone spy trope like yes women can be spies too and yes they are sexy wow yeah there's i think there's literally one of those typical legs up shots of her it's very male gazy it is but i don't care about the male gaze right now i care about steve Irwin, huh can i can we please have those shots for steve Irwin? is a man who caters towards the male gaze with a Y. <laughs> I've done that job. <laughs> very true, very true. Um, but yeah, like the film itself, like like I said, like like it starts off being very like thrillery, very like spy and like, you know, oh yes, it's the Pentagon and lost information, they have to recover it, but there's two different groups and they must get it before the other, you know, gets it and there's like a, you know, time. There's like a kind of like a timer, but then uh oh, Steve Owen's here. He's 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 here and he's ready to give us some iconic lines and it's just i love that so much and this is like this is like another tangent and we spoke about it like last episode about the whole body cop genre as well like i also noticed it with this film is that like a lot of a lot of body cops that i've seen are very like they have a very racial dynamic with it where it's always like you have a black guy and you have a white guy and uh uh-oh they don't really get along because you know of their racial differences but also they just don't get along but they're just kind of put together because it shows that both races can get along despite not getting along and it's just such a hypocritical kind of dynamic which i don't like and i'm glad that it wasn't really based on them it wasn't around them it was just around steve erwin and i wish this is the one kind of flaw i have the film is i wish they can kind of I don't know. I wish they didn't really spend too much time on the spy stuff and more about Steve Irwin just doing shit and then tying the like tying in that kind of like spy aspect of the film within that kind of, you know, diegesis instead of just like, oh, this is all the spy stuff, Steve Irwin. Okay, now this is the spy stuff. These are more about the people that aren't interesting. And then Steve Irwin. Like, I understand why people hate it. But at the same time, I quite like it. Yeah. Um, like, the, the director literally said that he wanted the, the subplot of the CIA to, like, be really weird and complex and, like, but full of cardboard cutout characters, his words. So it made Steve look more vibrant and a lot more simple 
and he wanted the focus on Steve and Terry. And I think what you're expressing is like, it means it works. We want more Steve and Terry because they are just so great. There's not really much that I can say about the film itself because the film is just something that you just have to watch because it's just so wild and such a fun time. Like you can't really say much about it except for the fun, that, except the part where it's just such a fun time. And the best parts about the film is if you look outside of it, if you kind of look at the behind the scenes, if you look at how like the post production and the production of the film is what's so fun and great about it as well. And I I really love that. I really love that Steve and like the Irwins really had. I guess like a huge, you know, part of the film. Um, yeah. And I I loved that documentary aspect of it and it linking with the conventional film. I just I love that juxtaposition. I have never seen it before and I think I think like it can be done again, but not in the same way as this. Like it is kitsch. Like it is camp and I love it. Like I love film like this where it's just pure camp and it's just there for you to have a fun time and that's just purely what it is. It isn't for you to like have like an existential crisis and be like, uh oh, so is is time backwards or forwards or both? Are we stuck in a time loop right now where we have to do this heist in a zombie Las Vegas over and over again? Yo, man, whoa, past the bong. Like, shut up and give me crocodiles. Yeah, honestly, crocodiles. I used to think crocodiles were like pretty cool and stuff like that. Like I always used to think crocodiles were pretty interesting. Like I remember when I was in Cambodia when I was a kid, the first time I ever saw a crocodile in real life, I saw a guy put his head inside a crocodile and he was just in it and he was just talking and he put it out and the crocodile just snapped its mouth and I was like, hmm, very cool. And I just thought that was so interesting. And I was just like, wow, crocodiles really be like that. And then... I just never really thought about crocodiles until like I watched this movie and I was like, you know what, crocodiles are really cool and they're really cute. Like they're actually so adorable. Like they're just like these long, big giant lizards and they have a lot of scales and they're kind of just laying in the sun, like chilling out, vibing in the sun and they just be like vibing there, having a nice like sunbathe and then they go in the water again and then they come out in the sun and they just i love it when their little heads come out in the water and they just look at you and they just like hello 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 and it's just so cute like i love it so much and oh my god have you seen big crocodiles walk on oh land? yes those the way they strut Oh my god. I know. I, I follow this uh, Twitter account called Gators Daily. It's literally just... He posts alligators and crocodiles and the occasional caiman and, or gorilla, But it's mostly alligators and the way they walk. And it's, it's my favourite Twitter account. I love it. And it just fuels my love for crocodilians. I I actually understand why you love crocodiles because I might jump on the crocodile loving train. I've definitely jumped on the train because like I've been actually binging videos of crocodiles just walking on land and they're just vibing. Like they're they're just vibing. They're just like there and they're just like, hmm. And I love watching videos of like, you know, when you, it's like a bird's eye view from underwater and watching crocodiles just like swim. And the way they swim, where they just wiggle like their bodies. I'm like, damn, that's, that's majestic. Yeah, because... That's Most of their power comes from their tails, which is why they can launch themselves out of the water. So far, basically get their entire body out of the water. It's it's amazing. I have perfected the YouTube algorithm recommendation system because of crocodiles. Because one night I was feeling a little sad. And I watched some Crocodile Hunter. I'm like, this was good. I want more crocodile videos. So I just searched up crocodile videos. And the amazing thing about crocodiles is that they can do everything that they say they can do. Well, they don't say. People, they they can do everything as advertised. So, in essence, I have taught the YouTube algorithm to give me videos of crocodiles, but the videos in the title is legitimately just what happens. It's, it's anti-clickbait because it's like, Oh yeah, massive croc in Western Australia scares fishermen. And it's like a shitty little GoPro video. And you know what actually (laughs) happens in it? A massive crocodile scares a bunch of fishermen in Western Australia, presumably. That's 
it's beautiful i honestly completely love that like i remember i had a thing i had a whole i had a whole time where i was obsessed with axolotls and i was just like i love them they're so cute because it has little smiles on their face and they're just like hello hello guys hello friends hello hello friends i think that's just like my impersonation of any animal that i love they're like hello hello hi hi i'm gonna eat you but i'm also friendly you know like <laughs> and i i i just I love crocodiles because they're just so cute. Like they're just big scaly boys, and also crocodiles are like ancient, aren't they? Give me some yeah. crocodile facts, Nick. Come on. Okay, so hit me up with those crocodile facts. Pretty much every uh, species of crocodilian can live in salt water for a little bit, but the saltwater crocodile mm-hmm. is different because the gland in their body that allows them to do that is a lot bigger, and because they can go into the salt water, they have a larger you know, range of options for dinner time. Adult saltwater crocodiles can get up to like six meters long. And I used to think, no, that's not that big. And then I actually got out a measuring tape and I was like, oh my God, six meters is long. Because I'm not good at distance. It's just like, they're so fucking big. So there are two types of crocodiles that live in Australia, freshwater and saltwater. Freshwater generally only goes up to four meters long. So the saltwater crocodile is the world's largest reptile and they are so beautiful. I know there's I know there's there's I know there's a lot of crocodiles in Cambodia. Oh yeah. Um oh and in ancient Egypt crocodiles were seen as revered and as symbols of fertility because the, of the amount of eggs that they lay, like crocodiles it varies from species to species, but they can lay from 20 to 60 eggs. However, only 1% of those eggs actually make it through to adulthood. Because there's a lot of, like, predators for, like, little baby crocs. Have you seen little baby crocs? It's a cute little I know, like, oh, they're so their cute. Eyes are so big. And, like, I know. You think you're an apex predator, but you're so a little snippy adorable. boy. You're a little snippy boy. <laughs> I know, they're so cute. I remember, do you remember that? Do you still have that crocodile mug I, I found at a Oh, like, yeah. It's like this really random bazaar. And I was like, you know what? I saw it and I was like, I saw it. I was like, you know what? This is Nick's cup. I look, you still, still have, have it. it. It's so cute. It's so cool, it's, isn't it's it? It's very good. It's probably like the best. It's like the best find I've ever saw. Like it's the best like thrift find I've ever like. It's bought. so unique and it's just it's great. Uh, did you know the way that you can tell the difference generally between crocodiles is uh, the uh, tooth overlapping? So alligators only have like the the top jaw. You can only see the teeth coming down, mm-hmm. whereas crocodiles you can see mm-hmm. teeth coming up and down. So when people call my tattoo an alligator oh. because they think the shape of his head is funny. I go, no, look at the teeth, motherfucker. My artist is an artist, okay? And they did a baller job with the reference photos I gave them. I, is there any more crocodile facts? Because I, I, I'm, I'm a little crocodile baby. I want to get into the crocodile world, but I don't know where to start, so. Oh, also because the ancient Egyptians believed that crocodiles were the symbol of fertility. That basically meant that the Nile crocodile is the cum god. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I love that. I actually love that. I mean, like, Egyptians were the true fairies. I'm not going to lie. They literally prayed to, like, humanoid animals. And croco- Nile crocodiles, uh, they used to mummify them occasionally. But they didn't really want to oh, fill because they stuffed them, and they didn't want to fill the uh, crocodiles with like important papyrus. Imagine like the pieces of paper lying around you, like receipts and all that. And so the discovery of these crocodiles is actually really a huge thing because it gave insights into the daily lives of ancient Egyptians. Because it's like it's like they they kept the receipts in crocodiles basically. It's stuff that you wouldn't write down for historians to find out regularly. And I think that's really interesting. And I think crocodiles are the ballers. The way I got into them was a the National Geographic. You remember when people used to buy newspapers and sometimes the newspapers would have like those yes. weekly things in them? National Geographic. Yeah, the, yeah, the National yeah, 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 yeah. We, My grandma mm-hmm. had a whole set Geographic ones, yeah. of the National Geographic ones, and one of them was about the Nile crocodile. And I watched the shit out of that. 
I, I want to see if she still has it, because I loved that. It was the basis of a 10-minute, no-cue-cards oral presentation that I did on the fly back in grade 5. I went for so long, and then I just trailed off, but I didn't trail off soon enough, because I told my whole class about how crocodiles fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Miss Megan Me- Me- just me. sitting there like, what the fuck? And then I left to go to the dentist and get McDonald's. <laughs> I love it. I actually love it every time. Okay, when okay, so whenever you go to the dentist and you come back back to school again and you'll have some Maccas and you're like the king of primary school because you had Maccas and everybody wanted your chips and so you're like, yeah, you want my chips? Okay then, then beg for them. Okay, so tell me how how do crocodiles um fawn? Okay, so it's different in in different species. Um, I I need to tell you the way American alligators do it because it's so funny. They the way they signal they're ready to mate is the males like just start growling like dinosaur growling and yelling. Ooh, and oh my god, it, that's kind of cute. It creates bubbles in the water, like massive like bubbles and waves, and it's like. Oh my mm. god, so every time you see, like, a gator, like, yelling, it's like, that gator's horny. <laughs> that is a horny he's, he's gator. He's ready to pop off. He's ready to pop off. <laughs> yeah. And the crocodile penis, it's it's always erect. It's like, it's it's always erect. It's, it's just like this thing in a hole, and it, like, it just, boop. And so you literally, you have to finger a crocodile to figure out if there's the penis in there. Because imagine if crocodiles just had their dongs hanging out all the time. Yeah, like like elephants. <laughs> no, like elephants. Oh my... Like how elephants, you can see like their I dongs. That. I hate that so much. Their ding-dongs. And but horses. elephants are very beautiful creatures. Oh yeah. Fuck Fucking horses. Like. Elephants are beautiful, horses are not. Horses are not valid. Elephants are very, very smart. Very smart species. They actually, do you know elephants? Oh, I, I won't go about my elephants back because I love elephants. Elephants to me is like crocodiles to you. <laughs> elephants to me, you can tell I'm very south in Southeast Asian when I talk about how much I love elephants, okay? Like when I pop off with Lord Ganesha for a hot minute, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But basically it's just elephants actually have, um, they actually are proven to have funerary practices. Mm. So when their loved ones pass away, they actually perform funerary practices and they actually are one of the few animals that have the ability to cry Aww. from emotion. Yeah. And it's very interesting because I recently found, I was watching something um, very fascinating about, you know, Coco the gorilla, the one oh, yeah. that, um, the gorilla that knows how to do sign language. Apparently, like, there's one part where she talks about having, um, crying because man is destroying nature and that was for like the 2017 like climate summit but apparently that was actually not true because gorillas can't cry like tears can stream down their face but not of emotion just because of tears you know how dogs just have tears yeah so especially the little crusty ones (laughs) (laughs) yeah daisy but basically i think what i love about elephants is that they are they have the ability to cry they have the ability to protect their young they have the ability to just be beautiful, very smart, intelligent animals. And I would love to be an elephant in my next life. Mm. Just as you would love to be a crocodile in your next life. Fuck, that'd be sick, man. This is, um, again, sorry for interrupting you, but I think I find this very interesting. But in my culture, there's a superstition that if you eat while sleeping, like while you're lying down, you actually get reborn as a crocodile in your next life. So, Nick, I recommend that Fucking you should eat while lying down. sick. I'm going to lie down yeah. right now. It's... I've got a bunch of crackers next to me. That's not a joke. I have a bunch of crackers next to me. I'm going to lie down and eat. Yeah. I just love all this enthusiasm for animals. And I think Steve, for a lot of people, he had that effect. Uh, in my uh, letterboxed review, which was very rambly, it was a very rambly one because I was... I was on a bender. <laughs> I, I I said <laughs> I was on a bender, and I I didn't stop to watch Crocodile Hunter. Crocodile Hunter was part of the bender. <laughs> I, I said he loved nature and all of its creations, no matter how scary they were to anyone, even him. 
He just wanted to provide resources for research into the environment so that the people who care could help mitigate the damage done by people who don't. I think kind of hopping off on the whole we love animals and animals are so cute because I'm in the whole like I'm I'm so done watching films and analyzing films that are like way too heavy on like all of this stuff. I want to talk about the best film in the entirety of the best films in the world and how much I love bears. I love bears. Yes, but bears, bears, what could it be? Could it be the pe- teddy bear picnic? Are we doing Goldilocks? Are we doing Hoodwinked? Is there a bear? No, open season. Um, I, I want to do pat. I want to do padding. Paddington, Paddington. I love Paddington. Yes, Paddington. Paddington. I want to do Paddington, and I loved. I actually recently watched Paddington for the first time, and I was like, this film is so beautiful. Yes, I love Paddington, and I adore Paddington, and he's such a cute little bear, and he just waddles around, and okay. I'll speak about it more on the next episode, but why does Paddington have... Oh, I understand why he has an English accent, but he's also a refugee, which I love. And he doesn't wear pants, which I support. I'm not wearing pants right now. Yeah, I support that. I love that. That's adorable. Little, cute little butt cheeks out open. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I said that. (sighs) Anyways. Anyway, that will be next time. Until then, I have been your crocodile expert, Nick. And I've been your scaly little elephant-loving rat host, Mon. In in the meantime, be sure to follow us on all of our socials. All of those will be linked, including a special new one that we just started. (laughs) 